الحمد لله الحمد لله الخالق الوجود من العدم وجاعل النور من الظلم ومخرج الصبر من الألم وملق التوبة على الندم فنشكره على المصائب كما نشكره على النعم ونصلي ونسلم على رسوله الأكرم بشرف الأشم والنور الأتم وكمال النبيين والكتاب المحكم سيد ولد آدم الذي بشر به عيسى بن مريم ودعا لبعثته إبراهيم عليه السلام حين كان يرفع قواعد بيت الله المحرم والذي بارك الله به كافة الناس العرب منهم العجم فسبحان الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكبره تكبيرا أما بعد أيها الناس يقول الله تعالى في كتابه بعد أن نعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لنحيي به بلدة ميتا ونسقيه مما خلقنا أنعاما وأناسيا كثيرا ولقد صرفناه بينهم ليذكروا فأبى أكثر الناس إلا كفورا ولو شئنا لبعثنا في كل قرية نذيرا فلا تطع الكافرين وجاهدهم به جهادا كبيرا وهو الذي مرج البحرين هذا عذب فرات وهذا ملح أجاج وجعل بينهما برزخا وحجرا محجورا وهو الذي خلق من الماء بشرا فجعله نسبا وصهرا وكان ربك قديرا ويعبدون من دون الله ما لا ينفعهم ولا يضرهم وكان الكافر على ربه ظهيرا وما أرسلناك إلا مبشرا ونذيرا قل ما أسألكم عليه من أجر إلا من شاء إلا من شاء أن يتخذ إلى ربه سبيلا وتوكل على الحي الذي لا يموت وسبح بحمده وكفى به بذنوب عباده خبيرا Respected audience, dear brothers and sisters, and honorable esteemed guests of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions the aspect of water in the, the verses preceding the ayat that we just recited. And as we will notice, inshallah, in the upcoming verses as well, water happens to be the beginning of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And multiple mufassirin state that water is the beginning of life itself, and anywhere there is water that is considered to be proof of the existence of life. I know countless times we have seen researchers state that they found traces of water on Mars. Why is that so significant? Because they say wherever there's water, life is to be found, is to be found therein, in that, in, 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 uh, in that area, locality, or whatever uh, planet that may be. 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here mentions That we give life thereby to a lifeless habitation A place where there is no life whatsoever If anyone's ever witnessed land that is thirsty for water You know exactly what the ayah is talking about and what it's mentioning And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in countless places in the Quran Mentions a people, a nation who were not mindful of the orders and the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punished them by taking away the blessing of water. In, in some areas of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the people of Mecca. The people of Mecca were truly blessed people. They were a blessed nation and they had been given everything uh, that you can count from the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. From life itself, the gift of life. Because around them, was constant turmoil, warfare. These were the Jahiliya times. It was a time of ignorance, and there was no peace whatsoever. Any other tribe that intended to trade with the neighboring tribe or to even send out their caravans to the far-off lands to buy and sell their goods would be robbed, and at times they would be killed. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had blessed the people of Mecca with the custodianship of the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when they were considered the custodians of the house of Allah, they naturally had a place of respect in Arabia, all of Arabia itself, and they enjoyed a protected status. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that in the Quran. That an example is being given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is giving an example of a village, an area which had been granted all the blessings by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was aminatan mutmainatan. They were at peace, they were at ease. Yatiha rizquha ragadam min kulli makanin. They were given an abundance of sustenance. Does that sound familiar? Anyone? It resonates the kind of life that we live. We have abundance of sustenance, and by the grace and fadl of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we also enjoy some degree of peace and prosperity. If any nation wants to grow, they say provide them with the right type of environment. And it's something I can attest to. I spent a long period of my life in Pakistan. One thing I noticed that they make people hanker after the basic necessities of life. I remember myself seeing there was a doctor that lived right across the street from the madrasa that I was studying at. And this doctor was running behind a tanker of water, trying to heal the tanker down so that his family can have water for the next couple of days. And this was the time of extreme uh, drought in, in Karachi itself so there was no water which was being provided people had to buy water so they would buy tankers of, of water and those of you who are from Pakistan probably know there's something called tanker mafia so tanker mafia means that you need to be connected if you're not connected then your household will be deprived of the water and even the water which is being provided is extremely dirty and contaminated you have to boil it before you can even use it for your wudu let alone drinking that water so when we live in this part of the land, part of what we need to do is recognize the obligations that are upon us. These blessings should get us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, should make us more mindful of the blessings and the bounties of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that in turn should make us more obedient. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave that example of that village, which is Makkah itself, that they had been given abundance of everything. What did they do? When, did they believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Did they start to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Did these bounties get them any closer to recognition of Allah? No, these people, they downright denied the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're, they're the ones that populated the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with multiple idols. And when they would do tawaf of the house of Allah, they would do a little bit of tawaf 
of their idols as well. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them a little taste of his displeasure. فَكَفَرَتْ When they denied the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, when we talk about kufranu ni'ma, kufranu ni'ma is translated as denial of the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's done in two ways. Number one, by not recognizing the bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala itself and constantly complaining by your tongue. Saying that I have not seen anything good in my life ever. This and that. And never ever uttering kalima to shukr. The, the word of thankfulness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's one way of not being mindful of the blessings of Allah. Number two, by your actions. And how does a person do that? By not being obedient or, or an obedient servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's time for salah. You're turning your face away and going in the opposite direction. It's time to fulfill the obligation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So by your actions, you're showing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you have no regard for the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, فَكَفَرَتْ بِأَنْعُمِ اللَّهِ So what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do when they denied, did, when they denied the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? فَأَذَاقَهَ اللَّهُ لِبَاسَ الْجُوعِ وَالْخَوْفِ بِمَا كَانُوا يَصْنَعُونَ So Allah gave them a little taste of His displeasure. How? By giving them a little bit of hunger. لِبَاسَ الْجُوعِ Just a little bit, not complete hunger, but some hunger. And it's mentioned in the context of these ayat that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made dua against them. And he said, Allahumma ja'al alayhim sininan kasini Yusuf. Oh Allah, inflict them with the drought that you had inflicted upon the people of Yusuf alayhi salam. So for seven years, they absolutely had no food whatsoever. And they came then begging to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa still in the state of kufr, asking him to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take away uh, the, the difficulty that they were in. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the example that if you want the blessings of Allah, and one of them, the notable blessing being rain itself, then you need to be mindful of the obligations of Allah. So, that sometimes the barren land, the, a lifeless habitation, and we give it water, and thereby we create a source of sustenance for the creation of it, itself. And, that we give drink to some of what we have created, including cattle, and many people. And some of the things that suffer due to the actions of the insan itself are the other creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, when we talk about we talk about the, the occurrence of the calamities and difficulties on the face of earth and on the face of water itself due to the actions that are committed by the son of Adam. Now, we do ask this question many a times that what if a people of a certain locality were busy disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will we be affected by their disobedience? This is a common question asked by people. Yes, you will be. There's a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam which states, يَغْزُوا جَيْشٌ الْكَعْبَةِ A time will come that an army will set out and they will have their sights on the Kaaba. What do they intend? What's the intent behind it? To destroy the Kaaba. So they will set out for the destruction of, of the Kaaba. And فَإِذَا كَانُوا بِبَيْدَاءَ مِنَ الْأَرْضِ When they will be in an open plain, an open land, what will happen to them? يُخْسَفُوا بِأَوَّلِهِمْ وَآخِرِهِمْ They will be swallowed whole by the ground. The ground will consume them completely. And Aisha radiallahu anha, she asked uh, that, Ya Rasulullah, كَيْفَ يُخْسَفُوا بِأَوَّلِهِمْ وَآخِرِهِمْ وَفِيهِمْ أَسْوَاقُهُمْ وَمَنْ لَيْسَ مِنْهُمْ How is it possible that 
the, the ground will swallow them whole when amongst them are people that did not do anything to disobey you. There's people that may be just walking by. There are people that may just be serving the army itself. And Rasulullah replied that يُخْسَفُ بِأَوَّلِهِمْ وَآخِرِهِمْ They will be consumed. They will be punished. And then on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will separate them. And here, one of the mufassirin states that if a person follows one of the criteria which has been laid down by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to express your, uh, you not being happy with the actions that are being committed, then you may be absolved in any way or form on the day of Qiyamah. It's, it will still not absolve you from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world. But if you don't even do that, مَنْ رَأَى مِنْكُمْ مُنْكَرًا فَلْيُغَيِّرْهُ بِيَدِهِ One who sees a wrong being committed, if you have the power to stop it by the use of your hand, go ahead and stop it. And if not, then فَبِلِسَانِهِ By your tongue. And if not, then think it evil in your heart. If you don't do any of those things, then you may not even be absolved on the day of Qiyamah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect all of us. So the evil actions that are done by the insan can also affect the innocent creatures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the cattle, the livestock, and all the other things which serve us. And all of these things, they were given to the insan as a bounty. All of these animals, the cattle, all of these things that have been given to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they serve a purpose. All the difficult labor that is needed to be done is done by them. And you're able to reach far off destinations by the usage of these things. So your actions may negatively impact and affect them as well. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned that وَلَقَدْ صَرَّفْنَاهُ بَيْنَهُمْ لِيَذَّكَّرُوا فَأَبَا أَكْثَرُ النَّاسِ إِلَّا كُفُورًا And very truly we have dispersed it amongst them that they may remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yet most people resist all but utter disbelief. Now there's a pronoun here, صَرَّفْنَاهُ a pronoun over here which is known as a dhamir in the Arabic language. It is going back to the water. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is once again referencing the water that we have dispersed water amongst them. And here the Mufassirin state that the water once again comes as a reminder. What did we mention in the beginning? It came as a reminder of life. Wherever you find water, that in itself is proof that life here exists. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought back the reference of water. That we disperse it amongst you to remind you that the water that's been given to you is given by whom? By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Similarly, you owe your life and you owe all of that credit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because the water itself serves the reason for your existence. So, وَلَقَدْ صَرَّفْنَاهُ بَيْنَهُمْ And then the water serves the purpose of a reminder once it comes on. Just like you see precipitation coming now from the skies, you see snowfall right now. All of these things deserve a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Take it from someone. I spent about 10 years of my life in Karachi. It never rains over there. Once, maybe, twice, once a year, twice a year. And even when it rains, it causes utter destruction everywhere. Roads are done. You can't go outside. There's also some strange problem with the electricity. People get electrocuted. I remember myself once trying to press a bell and I got stuck glued to the bell itself. So in some parts of the world, even if it's coming down, it's coming in the form of a difficulty by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we have been given abundance, the part of the world that we live in. We enjoy all types of seasons in itself. And we enjoy all the blessings and the bounties of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah says that we disperse the rain amongst them so that they may remember, they may be reminded once again of the bounties and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what happens, mankind generally is deviant and they turn away from the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala one of the things that's mentioned here is al-mubadara ila tawbah when you see something which reminds you of the blessing of Allah that in itself should make you hasten towards for seeking forgiveness 
uh, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all of these things, they serve as a reminder. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, وَلَوْ شِئْنَا لَبَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ قَرْيَةٍ نَذِيرًا And this is directly related to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that, O oh Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we are fully capable of sending a warner and a messenger for every locality and every village. When you look at the positioning of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you find him to be a prophet globally for the entire world. And one of the basic things we learn from the Nubu'a or the Prophet of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which is different from the rest of the prophets, is till the end of times, for all of mankind, till the day of Qiyamah. Everyone he, who came from the Bi'tha of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, till the end of the world itself. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here says that, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if we wanted, we could have sent a warner for each and every single village. But we made your message vast. We made it for all of mankind. And here we learn the importance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Mufassirin have stated that not even once did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala call out Rasulullah by his name. In many places Allah calls him out by Ya ayyuhan nabi. In at the beginning of Surah Al-Ahzab it's mentioned Ya ayyuhan nabi ittaqillaha wa la tuta'il kafirina wal munafiq. Whereas some of the rest of the prophets have been mentioned by their name. Wa Dawood wa Sulaymana idh yahkumani fil hath wa ayyuba idh nada rabbahu. So this shows the high status that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam enjoyed in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in some places, his name was mentioned. Muhammadur Rasulullah. Muhammad is but a messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa ma Muhammadun illa Rasul. There, then the attachment of the name is also with a special and high status. And that him being the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah here is saying that we were fully capable of sending a warner to every single village, every single locality. But we made your message such that it reaches the four corners of the world. And the hadith comes to mind of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa where one of his daughters was, uh, was taking pity on him when he was going through the struggles during the Meccan period. It was the period, it's, it's a period which is full of difficulty. And she uh, mentioned to Rasulullah that how long will this go on? So he said that Sayyidkhulu Dinu Abiki Baytu Kulli Madarin Wawabarin that the religion which has been brought by me or by your father will reach each and every single house of the world, made out of baked bricks and unbaked bricks in the four corners of the world. And that's what we see. The message of Islam has reached each and every single corner of the world. As for us, the Ummah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, yes, we are Muslims and the message has reached us, then there needs to be further implementation of the Sunan of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So Walaw Shaitna Labaathna Fikulli Kariatin Nadira so during the Meccan period, the kuffar of Mecca, the mushrikeen of Mecca, they exercised a lot of power over the Muslims. The Muslims were oppressed. They were going through difficulty after difficulty. They did not have the means and the power to defend themselves. And at times, we do find ourselves in a similar position as well. When we feel like we're being attacked and everything that you stand for is, is being attacked. There was once a time when the Sahaba, the companions, they threw their hands up and they said, Ya Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when is the end going to be for all this suffering and difficulty? Maybe this is not something that we signed up for. It's only natural that the human being can take a certain degree um, of, of difficulty after which sabar ka pemana labrez ho jata There's no more patience afterwards. So Bilal radiallahu anh is being dragged through the streets of Mecca 
Hubayb radiallahu anha is being tortured. Uh, Sumayya radiallahu anha is murdered by Abu Jahal. Her husband um, Yasir radiallahu anha is also killed at the hands of the mushrikeen. Ammar radiallahu anha is constantly being beaten. So they go to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and they complain. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that alif lam mim ahasiba nasu an yutraku an yaqulu amanna wa hum la yuftanun that do the people think that they can just get up and proclaim their faith and say that we believe and they will not be tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wala qad fatanna alladhina min qablihim fala ya'lamanna Allahu alladhina sadaqu wala ya'lamanna alkadhib that verily we have put the people before them through trials as well min qablihim the people who have come before them have also been tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala why is that it's a filtration process fala ya'lamanna Allahu alladhina so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can know the ones who are sincere who are firm on their faith and also the ones who are not firm and sincere in their faith. And it's something that we also need to reflect upon when we ourselves, you know, as things happen around the world, um, once again, the Muslims are in the spotlight. They're being questioned about their beliefs um, at times publicly, at other times uh, privately. And there's a, a big question mark on Islam itself once again. And this is something that the, the people who are older have been through before as well. So now is the time for you to come out as Muslims. And it's a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do you shy away? Hide yourself? Hide your identity? Just like the way we've done before? Or you step out, come in the public, and proclaim that yes, we are the Muslims, we are the believers in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just like during the Meccan period, the Muslims did not go into hiding. They continued and they continued and, and they were striving and striving until they realized that they will not be able to practice their faith and they moved on to the neighboring land. So, Do not succumb to the pressure which is being applied upon you by the, the kuffar or the disbelievers and strive against them. Here the Mufassirin state that the Qur'an was specifically mentioned in this context that you use the Qur'an as a shield and you use the verses of the Qur'an as a shield against the onslaught and uh, against the, the advance of the disbeliever and the mushrikeen. It does beg the question how do we use it against them? You use it as a weapon? How do you use it? Well, all of the ayat which were mentioned that highlight the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Remember, these are the very people that all of the things that were mentioned and will be mentioned about the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they deny all of those. They don't believe in any of them. Um, they say that the rain belongs to a certain entity or a certain God. He is the one that brings about the rain. And they also had a certain amount of apprehension towards their idols. So you know how for the believer, it's bain al-raja'i wal-khawf. You have hope in the mercy of Allah. And you are fearful of the punishment of Allah. And the hope aspect of the believer is greater than the punishment aspect. For the mushrikeen, it's the opposite. They're more scared of their gods and their entities than they are hopeful in, in the blessings given by them. So countless times you will see that the delegations from outside, from all over Arabia would come and they would, they would bring about the fears that they had, the harms that could be inflicted upon them by their idols and their gods. So here you have a, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, who is giving you mercy and who's calling you towards Him and the doors of tawbah are open. The moment you proclaim your faith, you recite kalima la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, everything before it is being erased. So you bring the Qur'an as an opposing force against them and recite the verses of the Qur'an as a reminder for the ones who don't believe. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala highlights another greatness of His. 
هذا عذب فرات وهذا ملح أجاج وجعل بينهما برزخا وحجرا محجورا Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions one of the greatest aspects of water and oceans itself. We know that there's two types of water that exists in planet earth. One of them being salt water which is the majority uh, of the ocean water and the other one being sweet water. So one of the first thing that was mentioned is Maraj al-Bahrain. Maraj al-Bahrain, Maraj is actually a place where you go for comfort and it's also used for animals that actually go to their pastures to graze. The, the word Maraj here is mean the flowing, the easy flowing of the oceans. And one of the Mufassir states that if you were to look at the surface of the ocean, one does wonder that there is no machine behind it. You know, in our worldly life normally, if when they want the, the swimmers to practice, the ones, specifically the ones who participate in the Olympics, what do they do? They have these special swimming pools and then they have those motors and machines in them that cause huge waves. Right? As if you're going against the currents and whatnot. That's what they use for the Coast Guard as well. To train them how to maneuver in choppy waters. So, we need to use machines in order to, to make that movement in the water. But if you look at the surface of the ocean, at times there are storms and waves can go as high as 14 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet during high tide. Right? One does wonder what is causing all of that. And at times there's the peaceful calm, yet that movement on the surface of the ocean. And if we get into the science of it, it may seem on the surface that the water is moving. The water doesn't move. It just pushes the other wave. Water remains in its place. So that's what causes the movement on the oceans. So Mufassirin mentioned that that's what's being indicated here. And the second point being that one of the defining characteristics of water is that it flows downhill. So if you were to create a stagnant pond and there, there is no elevation, there is no ups and downs, what happens? The water stays and gradually it rots, it smells, it gets dirty, it's polluted and has no use whatsoever for human beings. It does still have benefits and uses for the other creations uh, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, specifically uh, bacteria. That's why they say not to jump in every and any pond um, that you see. And sometimes people go crazy at the sight of water. You need to still keep your wits on you, not jump in every kind of water. There's also brain-eating diseases that happen to be in the water. So one of the things is that the water goes downhill. And that serves as the movement of the water. It serves as the purification process of the water. Now, at times, rain happens on all and any kind of surface. And normally, it rains on top of hills and mountains. So the system which has been created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the filtration process, the natural filtration process that the water travels from up the hills downhill. And it comes down and it becomes useful to mankind. Mankind uses it due to it being clean and filtered. And they, they remain healthy by drinking that clean water. Um, we understand the blessing of clean water. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever encountered polluted water and you ended up drinking it. You end up with a stomach infection, which causes uh, weeks and weeks of illness. And sometimes people can die. At other times, um, they do end up in the hospital for a very long time. So when you have this clean water, which is being provided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, once again, it's a gift of life. So this water goes downhill and it forms smaller tributaries as we know from geography. And then the water eventually mixes into the ocean water. So that's number one, that this water, which is sweet water, it's consumable 
and it's edible, palatable for human beings. It goes downhill, then it mixes with the salt water. And what's mentioned here is one of the miracles or one of the greatnesses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that when that water mixes into the salt water or it joins the salt water, it does not immediately mix. It goes on, it forms its own path and it does not mix with the salt water. And as we know that there are multiple places in the world, um, one of them notably, the Mufassir himself, uh, I was reading before Isha, he's, he mentioned a place uh, in the Atlantic Ocean on the coast of uh, Africa where there is such a place where the, the sweet water mixes with salt water. But it doesn't really mix. They come, they join together. He said off the coast of Senegal. Um, a city called St. Louis. St. Louis, not St. Louis here. It's landlocked. There's no water there. Uh, so it's in, in a city called St. Louis and you can actually witness that. And he says even the color is different. One side is blue, the sweet water is blue, clean and clear. And the salty water is gray and, and looks dirty. And it also smells different. So the Mufassir stated that the water near the salt water is very clean. And he himself swam in that water. And he said that the salt, the natural salt that exists in that water, serves as a filter uh, for that sweet water. Subhanallah. One has to marvel at the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and those of you who have studied science, I hope, inshallah, all of you, if you, if you look at the different layers that are underground, one of, them layer, one of the layers is sediment, which contains certain types of salts. And they serve as a filter a natural filter by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the water. So this is one of the, the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned. Now, the ayah mentioned that one of it being sweet and abundant for the human consumption. And as we know, there are certain types of species and creations of Allah that can only survive in sweet water. And if you were to change and bring them about into salt water, they would perish and they would die. So on one side, you find sweet means sweet, furatun. And then the other side you find milhun ujaj. It's salty and bitter. It's not consumable. Um, a human being, if you were to drink large amounts of it, you will get sick. Um, you could perform wudu. Uh, the hadith states, um, that it's dead is halal, like dead fish. And um, its water is pure for wudu purposes. So the other side of it is milhun ujaj. It's extremely salty and bitter. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَهُمَا بَرْزَخًا وَحِجْرًا مَحْجُورًا And in between them, there is a barrier, a natural barrier. Now one does wonder, are you talking about a barrier like we set up? Um, I have uh, lived in New Orleans for a very long time. I don't know if anyone's familiar with Lake Pontchartrain. It's a lake that constantly floods during the hurricanes and causes the destruction of the city almost every third year average. So they, they lay down an entire barrier in front of it. And normally that barrier does break when the hurricanes come. But it prevents smaller storms. So is there a barrier like that in between the salt water and the sweet water? No. There is no barrier that the human eye can see. But there happens to be a barrier there which hinders and prevents the mixing of, of these two waters. And this is once again uh, an expression of the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all of these ayat which talk about the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they were specifically being directed at the ones who used to deny the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, as a shair says, فَيَا عَجَبًا كَيْفَ يُعْصَ الْإِلَاهُ وَكَيْفَ يَجْحَدُهُ الْجَاحِدُ He says, I'm amazed at a person 
who blatantly denies the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even though there's a sign in anything and everything that shows that there is one Allah there's the existence of one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and as for the believers one does ask what purpose do these ayat serve for us they happen to be a a way to strengthen our iman and our belief inna fi samawati wal ard in the difference of the day and night and the, the uh, in the creation of the heavens and the earth and the difference of the day and night are signs of the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so when the believer looks at it that happens to be a form of strengthening his belief that's why a type of vacation which makes you marvel at the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that a believer should undertake sometime. So then Allah mentions, once again, water is being mentioned. And from that very same water, and a, a dirty form of that water, if it were to fall on your clothes, is your salah valid? Nope. You need to attain the purification, or you need to purify your clothes if that water were to fall on your clothes in order to offer your salah or do any other act of worship. So it's a dirty drop of water. So Allah says that He is the one who created you from that dirty drop of water. Alam nakhluqkum min ma'im maheen. Did not did Allah subhanahu wa taala not create you from a degraded uh, form of water? Now one of the greatnesses of Allah subhanahu wa taala is being expressed once again that out of that same drop of water came two types, two genders, male and female. Now. The people of uh, the Mushrikeen of Makkah, they specifically looked up to the males. Why? Because Al-Malu Wal-Banoon, in the Quran Allah mentions that wealth and sons, these are the Zinatul Hayatul Dunya, adornments of life. That's why uh, in the Jahiliya times and even nowadays, anyone who has multiple sons, he stands up proud. That's also a key point to remember here. So, the people of Makkah would be proud of the sons that they would have, and what were their actions with the daughters? They would, at times, some of them would bury them alive. So, Allah mentioned both that He created the male and the female from the same drop of water. There's no different drop of water for the female. Yes, the takhliq and the creation takes place by the order of Allah. In the hadith, it stated that um, that the creation of the insan takes place. There's these 40-day periods. And in the first 40-day period, it's decided whether it's going to be a dhakarun or untha, a male or the female. But it happens from the same drop of water. So Allah said that He created both types of bashar, both types of human beings from the same drop of water. Then the Mufassirin here state the benefits of both genders. You know how at times, and it's something that's been stated clearly in the hadith, that as you get closer to the Day of Judgment, you will find um, women who will try to imitate men and men who will try to imitate women. There's a hadith that also says that Allah's curse is upon the, the women who try to imitate men in their dressing and their attire. And, and whatnot. So each gender has its own benefit and it has its own beauty in the place that's been apportioned for it by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for the dhakar, for the male, it's mentioned that they are the creators of lineage. 
by them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates families, sons, and the generation, the family tree goes on, and human beings do not go extinct. And as we know in multiple countries of the world, uh, remember that slogan, maybe the older uncles, but something like that? Even this was back in 2010, 2011, they were still campaigning for things like these. Although now, once they have looked at the Western country model, specifically in some of the Eastern countries like Korea and Japan, where they're actually paying families to have children now. So now that's sort of grown extinct. Normally they worship everything that's going on outside of their country. Um, and, and they follow it like they follow religion itself. But then when they see the evil effects of it, that's when they realize. And there's something which has been highlighted about the insan that he learns through experience. When other people are telling him, he wouldn't know, he wouldn't learn. But once he goes, goes through it himself, that's when he learns. So lineage, generations, and the prevention of humankind going extinct, these are some of the benefits of the, the male. And also male happens to be the caretaker of the family. Um, the more at times the one who takes care of the family uh, looks after them, provides for them. And the benefit of the female is mentioned that they are the creator of relationships. SubhanAllah. Such beauty. They are the creator of relationships. How does that ha happen? So here in the first one, Allah says, bashar is the insan, the humankind. فَجَعَلَهُ nasaban. Nasaban is the lineage part that's attributed to the dhakar, the male. And sihra, this is actually the bond of kinship or the bond of blood and marriage. And this is the aspect of relationship which is created by marriage. So you have one family that's not related to the other family. They're complete strangers. If say even a month before they came across each other, they wouldn't recognize each other. They may even walk by, by, past each other, but they wouldn't know. But when the beauty or the beautiful aspect of marriage is brought in, what happens? These two families are connected. The relationship is joined and then multiple other family members. So for example, for the groom or for the husband, it's haram to marry the sisters and so on and so forth. So there's that relationship and that bond that is established by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكَانَ رَبُّكَ قَدِيرًا And your Lord is capable and all able of creating these types of relationships. So one of the things to mention here that each, and each gender has its own beauty and the roles that have been defined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be highlighted uh, by uh, the insan. When you try to uh, turn the, the system of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upside down, then entire societies would become dysfunctional. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned that even though they're reminded constantly of these things, only a fool will turn away from it. Right? When all of these things are mentioned with such vividness. One of the miracles of the Qur'an is, it is as if you can see those things unfolding before your very own eyes. Right? Such vivid description. So Allah says that, does that get them any closer to the worst? Some, only some. They're insistent on what? On one thing. What is that? They continue to worship other entities other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One of the things that's mentioned here is yanfa' wa yadur. It's the aspect of nafa' and dar. What's nafa'? How do you define nafa'? Benefit. So these idols that are created out of stone have no benefit whatsoever. And they can also not harm you in any way or form. That famous Sahabi who accepted Islam went back to his locality and he was reciting the kalima. And when his wife, she heard him, she said that if this shira, who's the idol, 
of their locality, if he heard you, he will make sure that there is no lineage left of you and no mark left of you whatsoever. So he said that destruction be for this shira, for he has led me away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for countless years. So the aspect of nafa and daral benefit and harm, it belongs only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَكَانَ الْكَافِرُ عَلَىٰ رَبِّهِ ظَهِيرًا And the disbeliever, he comes as a foe, as an enemy against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you continue to proclaim uh, and to uh, worship the idols, then you come out as a foe against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now this is again turning back to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا مُبَشِّرًا وَنَذِيرًا And here the Mufassirin have stated that the, the disbelief of the disbelievers would cause a lot of sorrow to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's why in multiple places in the Quran, Allah mentions, لَعَلَّكَ بَاقِعٌ نَفْسَكَ أَلَّا يَكُونُ مُؤْمِنِينَ O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you will most assuredly uh, harm yourself or kill yourself due to the grief that you go through when someone does not believe. And when you look at the Makkan period, countless times approaching the same person again and again. You look at the, the transition of Nubuwa starts off with Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq which is directed towards Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam only. The khitab or the, the communication, the conversation is between Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then the message comes, وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ You should go and start with your immediate family members. Family members are very important. Normally, when you're thinking about someone's guidance, you think about everyone but your own family, your own sibling, your own mother, your own father. You're not too worried and concerned about them. That's where you start from. You start from your own family members, and then you focus on other people. So your own home needs to be perfect. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا عَلَيْكُمْ أَنفُسَكُمْ لَا يَضُرُّكُمْ مَنْ ضَلَّ إِذَا اهْتَدَيْتُمْ You know, focus on yourselves, on your own families, because the misguidance of others cannot harm you. So you need to be on the path of guidance yourself before you focus on other people. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that, O Muhammad sallallahu we have sent you only as someone who delivers. Why? Because giving them hidayah or guidance is not in your hands. It's not in your control. You cannot physically grab someone and give them hidayah. Look at the aspect of Abu Talib, the uncle of Rasulullah. How many times Rasulullah called him? And how many times did he try? In the end, it's mentioned, the narration states, that Rasulullah entered and Abu Talib was on his deathbed. And Abu Jahal and all the other uh, mushrikeen of Mecca were sitting around him. The moment they saw Rasulullah enter, they tried to form a barrier between him and his uncle so that he cannot get to him. But Rasulullah found a way uh, to get to him and he said that, Hey, Am, oh my uncle, recite the kalima la ilaha illallah before you die. But he said that I don't want to be known as a person who forsaked the religion of his forefathers. Uh, before he left. So Allah is saying that, O oh Muhammad, your job is only to deliver the news. It's up to us. O Muhammad, you cannot give guidance to whoever you want and you please. It's up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's in the hand and it's by the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah has sent you as a bearer or as a deliverer of good news and a warner. Now when you look at the ayat of the Quran, there's some that talk about the promises of Allah, the wa'ad. Like uh, the ayat which talk about Jannah And what you get when you be an obedient servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So those are the mubashirat, the glad tidings And all the things that you will get And then there's some which warn about the punishment That fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fear a day 
a day which has no doubt fear the earthquake of the day of Qiyamah so you will find both types of ayat uh, in the Quran uh, once again this is uh, for, towards directed towards Rasulullah and then through him to the entire ummah that say I do not ask you of any reward from this message and this is one of the distinguishing characteristics of the Prophet and his sincere followers they will never ask you for a recompense or retribution for the deen that they're delivering so I don't ask anything from you that's why Nuh salam's aspect is highlighted in the Quran after calling his people 950 years towards Allah what did he say? You know, if I had any ulterior motive, if I had any benefit of calling you towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you had reason to doubt me that I am looking for some wealth or I, I am looking for some worldly benefit. But I have never asked you for anything ever. Isn't that proof enough that I want your guidance and I'm looking for my reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I, I do not want it from anyone else. So he says that. The, the reward of the Anbiya والسلام, is only up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's the one which will give it to them. This also highlights the story of Habib and Najjar from Surah Yasin, the one who ran and he said, Ya qawmi, ittabi'ul mursaleen. Follow the prophets. He went to his people and told them, follow the message that's been given. Ittabi'u malla yas'alukum alayhi ajra. Follow the ones who don't ask, they don't seek anything, any worldly benefit. And this is one of the, the aspects which is mentioned about the ulama as well. That the ulama, they don't normally seek any benefit from the people. They come as warners, as, 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 reminding, as a reminder for the people, uh, and they educate the people, the general masses, and they don't seek anything, any recompense in return. So, قُلْ مَا أَسْأَلُكُمْ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ أَجْرٍ I do not ask you for any reward for any of this, all the striving, all the difficulty that I'm going through, but whoever wishes, let them pursue the way to their Lord. Now, there may be some people who are like, what can I give, what can I do? So the answer is clearly that try to pursue the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you want to repay the Prophet, you know when you're reading through the sacrifices of Rasulullah, so you're filled up with emotion and you do think, how can I repay? So this is the way to attain nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to attain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and completion of the message of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So let them pursue the way to their Lord, get closer to Allah. And then this is the guidance for the believers in general. That you do not have to worry about anything. If you fear, or, um, if you fear any harm from the disbelievers, um, or you, you think that they can harm you, remember that you're placing your trust in who? In Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So once again you're reminded, You hire a security guard, he's a human being. Uh, it is said about um, Queen Sheba that she feared assassination. So she built a castle with a round tower. And she had, I believe, 101 rooms or 99 rooms in that tower. It's still standing in the city of Sana'a, Yemen. And she would sleep in a different room every night. And she would have a guard posted outside every door. But how many times have we heard of famous people who have been assassinated by their own? By their own security. So a type of security which is provided by the insan, by the human being, is full of flaws. Right? And um, so Allah says that you need to place your trust in, in, in an entity 
which is ever living, it never dies, never sleeps. So you need to place your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ever living, who never dies, dies and glorify his praises. Wasabbih bihamdihi. How do you do the tasbih of Allah? It could be as simple as subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar. Constant recitation of la ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah, and also by your actions. That's why when foreigners would come to Medina, they would try to ask of a copy of the Quran. And they would point to people, this is our Quran. Why? Because that person is a direct embodiment of the command of Allah. Of everything that's in the Quran, he happens to be a direct embodiment um, of that. Uh, when Umar went to get the keys of the city of Jerusalem, what do you think the pastors were looking for? Um, Abu Ubaidah, who was the commander-in-chief of the Syrian forces that were fighting the Romans, he received a message from the grand uh, priest or pastor or whatever they call them of, of the, the city. It, the, the name at that time was Iliya. He said, we need your leader, your grand leader or your supreme leader to come. Abu Ubaidah says, I thought, why not send Amr ibn al-As? Because Amr ibn al-As looks like Umar ibn al-Khattab and he also has a very authoritative personality. So he may pass for him. And the reason why they wanted to send someone else and not Umar is because the Sahaba, they, the companions were worried about the security. Of Umar. That's why they would not let Umar leave Medina. There was that one instance where Umar wanted to participate in the battle of Qadsiyah, the famous battle between the Muslims and the Persians. He wanted to come himself. And Ali and all the other companions, they advised him against that. He said, we have multiple fronts open. And if anything happens to you at this crucial moment, it will be very, very difficult for the Ummah to overcome. So that's why he sent Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu an the famous advice Umar radiallahu an wrote on a piece of paper to Sa'ad he said la yaghurrannaka ya Sa'ad an qil khalu rasulillah oh Sa'ad do not be fooled by the fact that people say you're the uncle of Rasulullah and just today I was uh, teaching the students about Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu an and how proud Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was of him he would say that do you have an uncle like Sa'ad I have Sa'ad Show me if you have an uncle like Sa'ad. One thing I would like to mention, inshallah, before we get back to the point. He said, Inna Allaha la yamhus, focus here, inshallah, they'll take care of that. Inna Allaha la yamhus sayyi'a bi sayyi' walakin yamhus sayyi'a bil hasana. One of the advices he wrote to him, he's sending him off to battle. He said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not wipe away evil with evil, He wipes away evil with goodness. So evil is wiped out by goodness. So Abu Ubaidah said that Ali radiallahu he advised me against that. He said, Oh Abu Ubaidah, this is one of the one of the holiest sites for the Muslims. And this is all this also happens to be the place for the advent of Isra and Mi'raj. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically chose this place from where Rasulullah undertook the journey of Isra and Mi'raj. So let Umar come for this. This is a great responsibility. So now when Umar was entering the scene which has been mentioned in the books of history, there's no way of verifying it, but the scene which has been mentioned is that he was traveling with one servant. Normally when you have such a great commander-in-chief, by now they've expanded into Persian lands and Roman lands, Muslim empire has expanded, 
you would expect a great entourage, maybe a battalion of 10,000 soldiers, like when Harun Rashid would go out. When Harun Rashid would leave, you know who Harun Rashid is, right? There would be a battalion of 10,000 soldiers in front who would leave the castle before him. Then he would come out with 5,000 soldiers, and then there's 10,000 soldiers behind him. That's the grandeur of the Muslim Khilafah. Here, Umar is going. There's one slave with him. And they only have one camel, not even a horse. They have a camel, and they're taking ride, turns, riding the camel. So when they were entering the city of Iliya, where Masjid Aqsa is located, it was the turn for the servant to be on the camel. And Umar had the rope in his hand, and he's entering the city. So all the, the noble people of the city, the rulers of the city, thought that the servant is... Umar So they surrounded him until Abu Ubaidah had to point out no, that this is Umar and one of them, he had a book in his hand again, this is a historical text so he started counting the patches that were on his front so he counted 12 and he was looking for another one and Umar instructed him towards his back Hey, the, the 13th one that you're looking for is my back so they said that it was mentioned in their books that a person with 13 patches Wallahu alam Allah knows best would come and you hand over the keys of the city without any difficulty, without any bloodshed. And since then, the city had been under the control of the Muslims. So these people were the direct embodiment of the Qur'an. When someone would see them, they would be reminded of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is one of the indicators of uh, people who are God-fearing. That when you see them, You were reminded of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you place your trust. Who never dies, you glorify his praises, and sufficient is he. He's all aware of the sins of his servants. No matter how much you hide, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. الذي خلق السماوات والأرض وما بينهما في ستة أيام ثم استوى على العرش الرحمن فاسأل به خبيرا He is the one who created the heavens and the earth It's something that I've already highlighted uh, between, In between six days and establish himself on the throne He is the most compassionate Ask none other than the all-knowledgeable himself All about himself وإذا قيل له مسجد للرحمن This is the reaction of the disbelievers When they are told to fall down in prostration in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala It's something that's also highlighted And it's a description of the day of Qiyamah These people will be told on the day of Qiyamah to prostrate But they will not be able to While all of mankind will fall down in prostration They will remain standing They will be unable to Abu Talib when he saw Ali radiallahu anh and Rasulullah praying What did he say? Your religion is very good I like it, it's very beautiful but there's one problem. I cannot bear that my back be faced towards the, the sky. So it's a form of disgrace for me. So Ali radiallahu anh, when he would remember that about his father, he would laugh. So there are certain people who may not be able to fall down in prostration. May Allah protect us. Because this will be in front of mankind. Everyone who's existed since the beginning of times till the day of Qiyamah will be there. And they will know that you were not able to perform sujood. So ustidu rahman So their reaction is fall down in sujood? No. They say, Wamar Rahman. What are you talking about? Who is the most compassionate? Who is Rahman? Should we follow you? Do we need to follow the order that you're giving us? Um, and this type of order drives them further away from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is very, very dangerous.
uh, earn your livelihood, your sustenance, provide for your family, be mindful, once again, acts of worship, and all the other things that are there. And all of this is for whoever desires to be mind mindful or to be grateful towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's the ayah, Oh people, if Allah were to make nighttime permanent, who is the one who can actually bring about daytime? And if it was the opposite of that, is there anyone who's capable of turning day into night and night into day? So that's it's, it's an expression of the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is one of the most important ayat. This is actually one of the attributes of the believers. They are the servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they walk the earth of Allah humbly. They are not arrogant about their guidance by telling people that you are wrong and we're right. We're the guided ones. No, their actions are more than enough. Because one does wonder, hey, if we're not letting people know that you're wrong and we're right, how will they know? When they look at you closely and when they see, you know, countless times, your actions are more of a da'wah than even you talking. So in a public setting, when you're dressed as a Muslim or when you interact with people as a Muslim, what happens? Hopefully, you leave a, a, a positive impact. right? And... Um, your action um, hopefully a good action that serves as a form of hidayah and guidance for other people so the people the servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they walk on the earth humbly they're humble they're not arrogant and when the foolish uh, address them improperly they only respond with peace this is a very important specifically in the current atmosphere that we're in um, there's all kinds of things that are being said uh, as someone who was born and raised here, you know the kind of names that people use, towel heads. Uh, I don't want to get into some of the, the more nastier ones. Um, it's not appropriate to be mentioned here in the masjid. But we do know the kind of names that we're given as Muslims. Right? So in this scenario and in this case, the person who's calling you out happens to be the khatabahumul jahilun. He's ignorant. Right? And you are the humble and the compassionate servant. It may seem as if we're being arrogant right now, but definitely you need to exercise caution and remain quiet. Remember, the person who approached you in such an aggressive manner is definitely not open to dialogue. He doesn't want to have a conversation with you. So it's best to avoid and say, Qalu salama. This is one of the attributes. You say, Salaamu Alaikum, or don't say, Salaamu Alaikum, but say, Good day to you, and walk away. Leave the, the, the area or that scene. Unless you feel like that person wants to talk and he wants to engage and he's not going to harm you in any way or form. But remember, it's something I mentioned in the students as well, that the person who's hating you may not even know why he hates you. That's the biggest problem. He, he, may not, he doesn't even know himself why he hates you. Right? And it's one of the signs of the hour which is mentioned uh, that I don't recall the Arabic of the hadith, but it states that the killer will not know why he's killing and the one who was killed will not know why he was killed. Um, just today it was in the news, um, a, a physician in Houston uh, got stabbed. Uh, now, there was no prior connection whatsoever. Allah knows best what happened. But once again, the killer doesn't know why, and the one who's being killed will not know why something like that happened. So this is one of the signs of Qiyamah that's mentioned. So the one who's hating you may not even know why he hates you. So when you come across a situation like that, the best thing is to say, qalu salama, and, and to walk away 
and to leave. And hopefully that will have an impact on the person himself. So this is one of the attributes of the believers that when the servants of Allah, they walk the, the earth of Allah humbly and when the foolish address them, they only respond with peace. And remember, this is something that Rasulullah went through himself. Remember that one tawaf he was doing? And the hadith states that Sanadidu Quraysh kanu jalisina fi al-Kaaba that all the leaders of Quraysh were sitting on the side. And whenever Rasulullah would pass by them, every round they would make fun of him, call him names. And the companions themselves also had to go through similar types of taunts and tortures. So when they they respond with Qalu Salama. And what are their some of the basic attributes? They are the ones who spend a good portion of the night prostrating themselves and standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this highlights the importance of the hajjud when you stand in front of Allah. Uh, you know, everyone wants to discuss the global occurrences. No one wants to do any ibadah, any dua, any act of worship for those people. And one of the things which was mentioned about the hajjud is it, the hadith of Rasulullah states that... Um, these are some of the instructions Rasulullah gave when he entered Medina. That, oh, people, spread salam, greet each other with assalamu alaikum, and feed each other. That creates love and bond amongst yourselves. And pray when everyone else is sleeping. Because that's the height of ikhlas. No one can see you, nobody's watching you. It's just between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you will enter Jannah. Uh, with ease. Uh, that brings uh, an incident to mind. Someone had something I had heard from the elders that there was someone who got up in the middle of the night and everyone around him was sleeping. And he said, Oh Allah, look at me. I'm the only one who's awake. Right. So then a voice came from the corner. You talk about yourself. Why are you talking about us right now, mentioning to Allah that we're not the ones um, who got up? So one of the things about the, the aspect of night prayer is a solitude where you're not being watched uh, by anyone and you're the closest uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, I conclude here, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the tawfiq, to implement these ayat within our lives. Most importantly is the implementation and the practice. Um, you're taking a Q&A? If anyone has any question, please go ahead. There is a lot of hot chocolate as well as chai. Please take some on your way out. And please purchase your tickets for the annual banquet. There will be people with QR codes outside. So I guess no questions? Okay. Allahumma laka alhamdu kama yanbaghi li jalali wajhik wa azimi sultanik. Allahumma laka alhamdu kama anta ahluhu wa falbina ma anta ahluhu. Fa innaka ahlu taqwa wa ahlu maghfira. Ya awal al-awaleen, ya akhar al-akhareen, ya dal quwwat al-mateen, ya rahim al-masakeen. Alhamdulillahi alladhi bi'izzatihi wa jalalihi tatimu salihat. Allahumma salli ala muhammadin abdika wa rasulik wa salli ala al-mu'minina wa al-mu'minat wa al-muslimina wa al-muslimat. Rabbana zalamna anfusana wa illam taghfil lana wa tarhamna lana kurna min al-khasirin. Allahu akbar, Allahu azzu min khalqihi jami'a. Allahu azzu 
مما نخاف ونحذر نعوذ بالله الذي لا إله إلا هو الممسك السماء أن تقع على الأرض إلا بإذنه من شر عبدك فلان وجنوده وأتباعه من الجن والإنس اللهم كلنا جارا من شرهم عز جارك وجل ثناؤك ولا إله غيرك اللهم أصيح حوار المسلمين في كل مكان اللهم ولي علينا خيارنا ولا تولي علينا بذنوبنا من لا يخافك فينا ولا يرحمنا اللهم من أراد بالإسلام والمسلمين خيرا فوقفقه كل خير ومن أراد بالإسلام والمسلمين شرا فأهلكه كما أهلكت عادم وثمود وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه محمد وآله وصحبه أجمعين برحمتك يا رحم الرحيم Everyone is please requested to perform ayat to sajda. We, we, we recited an ayah of sajda in our tafsir. So please, before you leave, uh, perform your sujood. <laughs> 